My name is Mike Womer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited to have you with us. I want to wish you all, a, all the fathers, a happy Father's Day. I am going to speak to you today for just a few moments about only the Father. It's the title of my thoughts today, Only the Father. I have never been one who has preached thematically about Mother's Day or Father's Day or any other holiday that, that comes along, um, but I, th- I saw it fitting to preach if, on Father's Day. If we're going to talk about fathers, then the most important father to talk about is our Heavenly Father. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. I come decked out in my father gear. I've got my dad established, 11-2201, with my first baby, my first child ever born, and then my second and third, Michael, on 131.05, and Leah on, on 613.06. Got that. I've got my socks. My socks have pictures of my kids' faces on them. I'm all about my kids on this Father's Day. So we're going to talk about our father. And to set this message up a little bit, I want to give you some important background context, because context is very important when it comes to preaching the gospel and understanding what God is trying to say in a specific verse or a specific passage. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of context in this message as soon as I get myself situated here. And so to set this up a little bit, I want to tell you some important background that took place right before the passage I'm going to share with you. We're going to be in John chapter 5, verse number 16 through 23. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to there, you're able to, it'll be up on the screen, but not not yet. <laughs> so before we get to verse 16, we need to know what's going on and what caused what you're about to hear and see and read to take place. And so we have these Jewish leaders that were angry with Jesus in such a way that they were, they were, they were, they were trying to find ways to even kill him in that moment. And so before this even began, we Jesus enters into the town of Jerusalem and he walks up to one of these gates at the pool of Bethesda and he finds this crippled man. The Bible says he'd been crippled and sitting at the gate for 38 years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being crippled and sitting at a gate for 38 years? And here's what's even crazier about that is that idea that that gate led to a pool where he believed he would be healed of his paralysis. That he believed he would be set free and healed if only someone could come along and dip him in the pool when that pool would ruffle up with bubbles and and become disturbed. Because the Bible says that previously that an angel, it was said that an angel came down and, and disturbed the pool, it says. And the, and the word disturbed means caused it to boil over and to bubble up and to become completely disoriented. And it, that an angel came down and did that. And so it was said that if you were dipped into the pool in that moment, that you would be healed. And there was evidence of it taking place. And so Jesus finds this man sitting there after 38 years, just steps away. And so long story short, Jesus heals this man. He tells him, pick up your mat and go away because you're healed. That's pretty much what he tells him. So he finds this man sitting there, 38 years, and he heals him. The, G- the Jewish leaders like literally lose their mind over this because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. It started like this, the Jewish leaders see this crippled man 
who had been sitting at this gate for 38 years. And let me tell you, if you are a leader or any kind of person in this community, you know who this man is sitting at this gate for 38 years. I mean, think about our context. How many know that no matter where you go, you'll see a man holding a sign that says, I'm homeless or we'll work for food somewhere in your journey, and you'll know who he is because you see him all the time, right? That's kind of what we have here. We have this crippled man, 38 years, sitting in a gate, so everybody knows who he is. He gets up, and he's carrying his mat, So rather than the Jewish leaders being enamored over the fact that this dude sat there for 38 years, they got angry because he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath, which meant he was working. They were angry with him because he was carrying a mat because that was considered work on the Sabbath. So they questioned him, and and finally he said, I don't know who this was, and I don't know what happened, but the man told me to get up and take my mat and go away, so I did. So they find out it's Jesus, and then it leads us to verse number 16, and this is what happens. The Bible says, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his father thereby making himself equal with God. Verse 19, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what, the father, what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to, even, how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. So he, Jesus is even, I, I love Jesus, not just because he's my savior, but I love, I, I guess maybe I read the Bible in a way that my personality is wired and that might not necessarily be a great thing. But when I read something like this, and obviously Jesus isn't me, so he's not doing this the way I would because this is how I would say it, is he says, in fact, the father will show him Show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. He's like saying, yo, I just made a crippled man walk. And you're worried about my work? You weren't even astonished at the healing of this man? So for me, it'd be like, yeah, maybe then you'll be astonished. Sarcasm. I like sarcasm. I don't know that Jesus was so sarcastic. Although when I read about him, sometimes I add that in. I'm not saying that's necessarily good or not, but... So for just as the verse 21, just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. So a couple of things I want to point out in this passage of Scripture as we move forward in this message is, number one, Jesus' relationship to the Father. See, there's reasons why these Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. One of those reasons is because of the relationship he has to the Father. So the first blank in your notes, it's also up on the screen, is Jesus' relationship to the Father. So a dominant theme in this passage is the way Jesus relates to God as Father. Verse 16 says that the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. 
And this is why they were trying to kill him. So his response was, my father is working and, and, and so am, was always working and so am I. So if you put aside even this question of the Sabbath for just a moment and simply focus on the relationship of Jesus to God, this is what the Jews did and it elevated their persecution and their plan to kill him to an even much higher and more significant and urgent level. Because now he's saying, not only am I working on a day that I'm not supposed to work, but now I am Jesus and he is my father. And what he, said, what he does is what I do. To the Jews, that was like blasphemy. And here's what, here's what they heard Jesus say in verse 18. If you, if you look, this is what they heard him say. They tried to, tried to kill him because he broke the Sabbath. And he says, they said he called God his father, making himself equal with God. That's what they heard. How many times in your life and in relationships, has somebody said something, but you heard something completely different? Let me say that again. How many times has somebody said something, but you heard something completely different? Or maybe, you know, or maybe via text message, somebody said something to you and you flipped out because in your mind, they said it with a certain tone or a certain context, or in a certain way that made you say, oh, what you're really saying is this. Maybe I'm the only one who does that, and if so, great, I'm thankful for that, but my guess is y'all are just quiet because you know I'm speaking the truth to you right now. But that's what happened with these Jewish leaders. They, they, they heard something that wasn't necessarily there, but look at what Jesus did. Jesus just let it stand. Jesus just let it ride. He didn't think anything more of it. He didn't even address it. Man, look at what we can learn just in that passage from Jesus. Somebody in your life is, and if they have not already, they will say something to you that you don't find to be too appropriate or too loving or too nice. And, and we have to get up on our, we got to hike our pants up get up on our box and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Y'all don't get to talk to me like, who do you think you are? This is kind of how we respond. Maybe not vocally, because the majority of society is much more passive aggressive. Me, I'm much more aggressive aggressive. So I would get on a box and I would say just that. Or most people are just thinking that. But not Jesus. He let it stand. It's important to see this here that is that they, they drew a conclusion that Jesus never mentioned, and he just let it ride. He just let, he just, just go ahead. And he lets it stand, and he starts to unpack all of these implications. He says three things. He says, the son doesn't, indeed the son can't go his own way, but stays in perfect step with the father. That's what he says. He starts to unpack this idea and he says, I can't do my own thing. I can only do what the Father does. Imagine what the world we live in today would look like if every one of us would say and actually then do, wow, I, I can't do anything except what the Father does. 
I can tell you one thing that I'd be so happy that would end this whole thing. Because I'm guessing that my father would not take a selfie with duck lips kissing the screen. I hate those pictures with a passion. But they're all over the world today. And you can't go anywhere. Anywhere without seeing it. Anywhere. I have literally traveled all over the United States. I have traveled in foreign countries. And the one thing that is universal is this. You don't even need to speak that language because everyone speaks it. The selfie with my kissing the screen. What are you doing? If we just adopted this idea that we just do what the Father does, even our lives might be simplified a little bit. And that would lead me then to the next point that I want to make is that Jesus does only what the Father does. Look at verse 19. It says, he explains, I tell you the truth. In some contexts, he's saying, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. Meaning, hey, I am about to say something that's very important. So perk up your ears and listen. If you're not listening to anything else I say, then listen to this. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, so the son can do nothing by himself. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man then you will be truly astonished. So the first thing is the son only does what the father does. They act in perfect synchronization, Jesus and the father. See, in some areas of thought and belief, they have this idea that God exists and then he has roles and he has parts. Like I exist, I am... Mike Womer, and one of my roles is father. Another one of my roles is pastor. Another one of my titles is director of brand development. Another one of my titles is umpire or coach. But I'm all just the same. And people have that context to suggest that's how God works with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But that's actually not even biblically accurate. It can't be. Because Jesus talks about himself separate from the father. As if... God is speaking, and I'm acting. God is doing, and I'm doing. If he were just a title or just a role, how could he possibly logically hear from him? Because then, then you're, now we're talking about schizophrenia and mental disorders. Like, seriously, it's like I'm standing here having a conversation with seemingly nobody. Oh, that's what you want me to do? Okay, I'm going to go do that. That would look weird. Because I'm talking to myself and then acting on myself. So that's kind of not how this is wired. Jesus says he can only do what the Father does. So whatever the Father does, Jesus does. When the Father acts, Jesus acts. This is the sort of thing that Jews heard Jesus say. And they concluded, you talk like you're equal with him. You talk as if for him to act is for you to act, and as if there is some kind of essential connection or union, and the actual truth is, that's exactly what he is saying. When he acts, I act. Matter of fact, Jesus puts this in such a way that there's a perfect synchronization and union between him and the Father, that when the Father acts, he acts. But if you continue to read and read a few other passages that actually proof text this, you can find that when the Jesus acts, the Father acts as well. 
Why? Because there's this perfect synchronization and union between the Father and the Son. The Son can only do what the Father does, but so, then when, the, when the Son is off, because there's this perfect union and synchronization, the Son begins to do, and so, so then does the Father. It's a two-way street. As I step out in faith and do what God's called me to do, God has already started to do what he's wanted me wanted to do as I do what I'm doing. So it's, there's, a, there's a two-way road. I can only do what the Father does, but if I'm connected close enough, then he's going to act when I do, as long as I act in accordance to his will. For the next thought I want to share, I'm going to jump to another chapter and verse in the same book. Flip over to John chapter 12. Starting in verse number 49, the Bible says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. So for, for the next thought, the next point I want to make for you is Jesus says only what the Father says. So we have this relationship that Jesus talks of that is a connection to the Father. There's this perfect synchronization and union between him and the Father. Then he says, I'm only going to do what the Father does. And then just a few verses later, he says, I'm only going to say what the Father says. Can you imagine what life would look like if we only did and said what the Father did and said? Unfortunately, that world only exists in the day when he comes back. While we're here on earth, we have to deal with the, sinless, the sinfulness of earth. It's a lost and broken world, and it became that way when we invited sin into this world. But when we think of this idea that Jesus is only saying what the Father requires him to say, it gets a little weighty. Because here's the thing, okay? Let's make a connection here. You are required, as a believer... To be like Christ. Okay? That's our, that's our call as all believers are required to be like Christ. Which means if he only does what the Father does, and he only says what the Father says, we are actually required to only do what the Father does and say what the Father says. And so, what does that look like? And here's where it gets a little murky for a lot of Christians, because a lot of believers don't necessarily understand Scripture in a way to where they think that that's actually true. They, some believers think that God came, He created the earth, He sent the Son, He died, He sent the Holy Spirit, now I get to just live and do whatever I want, and He is with me. But that's not how it works. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't even say anything like that. Some of the things that Jesus said, I'm just going to share a few of them. But some of the things He said, He says, I am the way. So hold up, wait a minute, Jesus. You are the way. My way is not the way? Nope. Let me tell you, that's a lesson God taught me a long time ago. Mike, your way is not the only way, or even most times the right way. He says, I am the way. And so this is what Jesus says in John 14, 6. I am the way. Matthew 5, 34 through 37, he says, let your yes be yes. Let me help you out with that. Don't say yes and then not show up. If you say yes and you don't show up, guess what that is? Sin. You say yes and don't show through. That's called sin. Because Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Anything that contradicts the son is sin. 
We got to, let's call it what it is. Not judging. I'm not condemning by any means. Let's just call it what it is. Let your yes be yes. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And guess what? Remember what I tell you about my preaching, right? I preach first to who? Me. Then to you. Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Then he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, my kingdom comes first. My kingdom comes first is what he says. So let's, let's, let's get out of the way of your own thoughts. Get out of the way of your own world, your own necessities, your own desires, what you have to have. And just realize that he says, my kingdom comes first. How do you say it? He said, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. We want all these things added to us, but without seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's, it's, it's what I shared this morning in prayer when we talk about how the father relates to, this, to, this, to his people and to his children. And it's this idea that if I'm closely connected to Jesus, then it's just somehow, biblically, what I need is added to me. It's the way it works. When I'm not connected to him, the things that I need and the things that I desire and the things that are important somehow are not added to me. Go figure. Because he says, my kingdom comes first. Then he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 2, he says, you have all of my power and all of my authority. Yet we as believers cower down and say, oh, woe is me. I have no job. I have no money. I have a broken relationship with my children or with my husband or with my wife. Or I can't figure this out or blah, 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 blah. And all legitimate issues. But yet we don't realize that you have all of his power and all of his authority. These are things that Jesus said. Matthew 5, he says, you must act in love. In Luke 6.37, he said, you have to show mercy. In Luke 6.29, be humble. These are all things that Jesus said. Matthew 10.29-31, you have great value. And somebody in this room just needs to hear that you have value. Just the way that you are, the way God created you, you're valuable. More precious I mean, when you look out upon a field, this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus said. You look out upon a field of lilies and you see these beautiful flowers in the fields and you look and say, wow, look how wonderful that is and look how beautiful that is. He says, you got more value and more beauty than even that. These are things that Jesus said. Mark 8, 36, he said, don't look like the world. Bottom line is this. He said so many things, and based on the context of his character and scripture, these are the very things that God the creator is speaking to him, that he spoke to people, that we ought to speak to ourselves and to one another. We only do what the Father does. We only say what the Father says. This is what he says. John chapter 5, verse 14, we find going right, going just a, few, a couple verses before the text that we started with, this is what, Je what happens. Jesus had this encounter with this man. He heals him. He tells him to pick up his mat. And this is what happens. He says, but afterward, see, because the man couldn't find Jesus. Jesus heals this man and then disappears into the crowd. And the man couldn't even find him, didn't even know who he was. Then in verse 14, he says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. So what do I want to give you from this passage? The last thought I want to share with you this morning. 
is that healing and all healing in Scripture conquers sin. You're healed to conquer sin. You're delivered to conquer sin. You're set free to conquer sin. Why? Look at this. Because Jesus retreats into the crowd. We're kind of left to wonder. If you just read that passage of Scripture and stopped before you got to verse 14, you're kind of left to wonder, was this the mercy of the Father to heal this man because he had been sitting there for so long? Was it just some random healing? But here's the reality. We find our answer to that question in that passage. I'm going to read it to you again. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. And this wasn't the only time Jesus would speak like this. Anybody remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? If not, let me refresh your memory in John chapter 8. The Bible says Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious, of the, of religious, religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, and this is what they said. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? Jesus is faced with the sin situation in, his, in front of him, but not private, in front of an entire crowd that he's preaching to. Then he goes on to say, and so here's what it says, verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. The Bible never, ever addresses what he wrote with his finger. So if I can have just a little bit of grace and take maybe just a little literary freedom here, it is quite possible that Jesus stooped down in the dirt and began to write out the sin of the very man who came to condemn her. It's possible. Maybe not. Some theologians believe maybe, but there's no answer to that question because the Bible actually never actually addresses that specific situation. But here's why they say... That answer is, verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Okay, cool. Law is the punishment by death. Cool, but here's the parameter. If you have no sin, go ahead and throw a stone. And so what happened? This is what happens. He stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. All that is so cool and it's so powerful and it's the redemptive power of Jesus and the healing power and the set free power and the forgiveness and the mercy and grace of our Father. But listen, it doesn't just stop there. We live in a Christian, a Christian world today that suggests, I'm forgiven, let me keep doing what I want to do. And then we have all these questions as to why our life looks the way it looks. And I'm going to answer them with two verses. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And he sa- she says, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. 
Now, the point of these encounters with Jesus were very simple. Healing and deliverance with the command to no longer sin. Go and sin no more. Stop sinning. What did that simply mean? That simply meant, because here's the reality. The Bible, it sounds like a contradiction, right? Each day we all fall short of the glory of God. We are born into sin. We can't possibly live a life without sin. That's all true. So what is Jesus saying? If he says, stop sinning and go and sin no more, here's what he's acknowledging. He's acknowledging that this sin in this woman and the sin in that man who was sitting at the gate was absolutely, positively choice. They were making the conscious decision to live the way that they were living. See, we, we want to mask our sin with this idea that, oh, well, you know what? It's each day we all fall short of the glory of God. And this is just the way I fell short today. That's a dangerous game that we're playing with Jesus. Because the idea of go and sin no more literally means to, as you are living your life, live it to the fullest expectation of righteousness. Make decisions and choices that lead to righteousness. You Acknowledging that you will fail, you will make mistakes. Some days you will have a bad attitude. Some days you'll be overwhelmed by your, by your situation that sadness and depression may set in. But you have, you have that taking place from time to time in your life. But those are things that set in on you that you speak against, not... Eh, you know what? I'm good. I made my peace with Jesus and now I'm going to do whatever I like. And it's what causes us to engage in relationships that are otherwise unrighteous relationships. And for the sake of the ears of our younger children that are in with us this morning in Family Sunday, I am going to not give too much detail about that. But we are grown folk, right? We can get our own imagination into what relationships that aren't righteous look like we continue in those because we think oh well we're covered by the blood and so the point of this is to live a life that reflects the righteousness of God that where we only do what the father does and say what the father says Devin if you can come and get set for me you guys the worship team that would be fantastic to the man at the pool, he's saying, I have sought you out to tell you the point of what I did for you. So he heals this man, and then he seeks him out in the crowd and says, this is the point of what I did for you. I healed you, I healed your body with the aim that it would lead to the healing of your soul. That's why Jesus healed the man. I healed you for the sake of your holiness. To the woman in, the, in adultery, he's saying, I have forgiven you so that it would lead you to a life of living for me. I believe, unfortunately, this is something we far too often forget or even worse, take advantage of. We take advantage of God's grace and we take advantage of God's mercy and we take advantage of his salvation in the fact that we receive it and then suggest that now we're good. We don't need to do anything else. 
we receive this miraculous healing or this provision or this forgiveness and forget that Jesus has this desire for us to sin no more. But here, back to the question I asked that I did not answer. Is it even possible to live a life of sin no more? I believe that not only is it possible, but it's demanded. And let me take that thought for a moment and dissect that a little bit before you throw stones at me and get frustrated. We are born into sin nature. And even according to Paul and James, we will sin and fail daily. I mean, Paul said, it's the very thing that I hate is what I do. I don't do what I love. I love Jesus. I love righteousness. I love that. But that's what I love, and I don't even do that. It's the thing that I hate. He's, and he said many times that he hated sin, and that's what he does. James said it's impossible for the, the believer to not sin. So the reality is, on a day-to-day -day basis... Yes, but when Jesus says, go and sin no more, he's saying, abandon the sin lifestyle. Abandon the choices to live that way. And if you sit in this room, and I know somebody does, if not more than one person, if you sit here and make the suggestion that I just can't help myself. So now we're talking about a whole nother issue. We're talking about an issue that the modern church I believe has forgotten about. We're talking about an issue that the church doesn't like to address because this is where it gets messy. If you have that idea that I just can't help myself, then let me tell you what's needed in that moment. Deliverance is needed in that moment. I don't mean delivered demonically, although it could be, but I, I don't mean that you are possessed by the devil, although without Christ, it's quite possible. It's definitely biblical. What I mean is that there are thought, pattern, thought patterns that are formed in our lives when we are young and all through our life that cause us to act the way that we act, speak the way that we speak, and believe the things that we believe. Without getting into too much detail, I'll, myself included. There were things spoken to me and over me as a child, things that I believed about myself because of relationships that I was in, safe relationships, safe relationships that were meant to cause me to grow and cause me to, to excel and, and, to, and to be all that, that I was supposed to be. But there were things that were spoken over my heart and over my life from a young age all the way up into my early adult years that caused me to believe some things about myself that weren't actually true. And here's the problem. The problem in all of that is that it then affected my actions. It then affected the way I thought, the way I spoke, the way I acted. And so once it did that, now it became a hindrance to my walk in my faith with Jesus. And it wasn't until I went through a process where I sat and actually spoke with someone and actually let all of this out all the way from my younger years that I experienced what I just talked about in this thing called deliverance. And from that day, even until today, I can honestly say that those things have zero impact in my heart, in my life, in my actions, or anything that I say or do any longer. 
because God set me free from those things. Well, I, I really truly believed when I would react the way that I would react and I would think that the way that I thought that I could not help myself. It's all I know. And while that was true, there were some things that God needed to do in my heart to get me in, onto the path and in the direction that he needed me to go. Because I wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing if it were not for that moment. And I promise you, some of you are sitting here right now, not anywhere near where God wants you to be. And it's because there's something inside of you, something that was maybe spoken over you. Maybe it's something that is a consequence of your actions that you are ashamed of or you are disappointed in or whatever the case may be that are keeping you right where you are and rendering you ineffective for the kingdom of God because that's what we're required to do. We are supposed to be effective and help to grow and build the kingdom of God. And there are things that we think about ourselves, believe about ourselves, believe about our situations that were established long before you became the adult that you are. And they're keeping you right where you are with your feet firmly cemented into your space. That God says, no. He says, Jesus illustrated this when he did this he healed the man he forgave the woman for the point that they would no longer sin and that they would be able to live the life that he's called them to live and we may not even look at it like that we may not even look at it like it's willful sin in our lives Say, oh, well, that's kind of a harsh way to put it. It's the biblical way to put it. And if you feel like it's harsh, then maybe it's something that he's, God's trying to do on the inside of you. Because I can be honest with you. When I used to sit in the third row of my church in Baltimore, and I would sit here and look at my pastor, and he'd be preaching, and I would say, oh, that's kind of harsh. I don't, you don't know? I don't know if you should have said it like that, pastor. I, I kind of feel some type of way about that. Maybe I feel some type of way about that because he's talking to me. Maybe there's something inside of me that God wants to do that I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty stubborn guy. And the only really way to get my attention is to get my attention. You feel me? That's the only way I understand it. The only way I get it is to say, hey, I am right here. My kids do it. They're talking to me and they're like, dad, 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 dad. My bad. What can I do for you? Of course I'd be the same way spiritually as I am physically. So God sometimes has to get your attention by making something inside. Like, hey, you know what? I don't like that pastor anymore. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go somewhere where they don't tell me that I'm, 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 I'm broken. They don't tell me that I, have to, that, that I have to live a certain way. But the reality is this. Jesus said what he said and did what he did for the whole purpose of getting you to be where he wants you to be so that you can make the greatest impact in the kingdom of God humanly possible. You are, still, you are saved, you are healed, you are set free to no longer sin and to be able to walk with others through their challenge and their issues in life. And if you find that stuff just keeps happening to you and you, can, you, you, you have the mentality like I just cannot get ahead, 
take a moment to inspect what's inside. No, I'm not suggesting that everything happening to you is because of your sin, not by any stretch of the imagination. But there is a direct connection to the fact that what happens in our lives, sickness, lack of jobs, provision, pain, some, not all, not collectively blanketed with the whole thing with truth, but some of that is directly connected to how we are connected to our Father. If you find yourself in a position where only what the Father says and only what the Father does is what you say and what you do, then you can handle anything that comes your way because you're not doing it on your own. You are doing it with Him. That's the whole point of the Father. So here's the good news in all of this. As difficult as it seems and as difficult as it sounds, the good news in all of this is that freedom, that being set free, that deliverance can start today.